Friends, our reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, and out of reference for the Gospel word, I invite you to stand in body or in spirit. Hear now these words from Mark chapter 1. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm grateful to Andrew for our scripture reading and for just generally being back with us. Um, And I'm grateful for the music this morning, lifted up in worship. Well, today is Baptism of the Lord Sunday, and we're coming from Christmas, and they don't really tell you this in the Gospels, but this is a time jump of about 30 years. Jesus is about to start his ministry as we know it in the Gospels, and This is an important Sunday, not just to remember Jesus' baptism, but to remember our own baptism and what it means for us. And we'll get back to that, but this Sunday always reminds me of an article I read in 2016, and it was an article published by a satirical news site, and the article declared that a megachurch in North Carolina made a new installation in their sanctuary, a giant spiraling orange water slide that went down into a baptismal font. An article claimed that on the day of this slide's grand opening, they broke the record for most baptisms in a day, which, with many people wanting to get baptized more than once. And this article was picked up by news agencies and social media accounts and shared widely, met with humor and outrage. But remember, this didn't actually happen. This was a, a satire. <laughs> there was never actually a water slide built going into a baptismal font. But there is a certain biting thing about satire. It's the use of humor, irony, or exaggeration in order to expose or criticize something. And what this fake article was calling attention to was a very real fact. We often downplay or don't understand the full meaning of baptism in the church. In our culture, churches often are so goal-oriented that we sometimes view the number of baptisms as a measure of success or We often use gimmicks or ways to kind of downplay and make it seem easier and more appealing to be baptized. Or, in many cases, baptism is seen as the end goal rather than the beginning of a journey. There's an unfortunate tendency, especially in our consumer culture, to view baptism as a box to be checked. And once it's done, you're good, right? (laughs) You've punched your ticket to heaven, and that's where it all ends. But of course, we know that's not true. That is a gross oversimplification and misunderstanding of what baptism is. 
On the other hand, to be fair, baptism is really complicated to explain. And in the United Methodist Church, this is our official doctrine on baptism. And I don't know if you can see, this is pretty small text here. <laughs> this is called By Water and the Spirit. And it really is a beautiful and meaningful document. I encourage you to read it. It's also 15 pages long and 28 pages if you include all the citations and scriptural references. It's a dense document. And you look at something like this and you think, why does it have to be so complicated? Wouldn't it all be easier if baptism was just this one and done event? Well, in our scripture reading today, we get our first hint of what baptism means. We see the first character we encounter, John the Baptist. And he's calling folks down into the river Jordan to be cleansed. And back then, remember, the practice of baptism was a little different. This was the Hebrew people and the Jewish faith not the Christian church yet. Getting baptized was meant to be a cleansing ritual, just like a bath would clean the dirt and the stink off of our bodies. This ritual bath would wash the dirt off your soul. It purified you, it made you clean, it enabled you to re-enter God's kingdom as someone righteous according to the law. But it's interesting, because even as John the Baptist is doing this, he's telling folks, what I'm doing for you is nothing. <laughs> this is small potatoes. Something's coming next, that is going to be so much bigger than what I can do. And this is verse 7 and 8 of our scripture reading today, and the message translation puts it this way. John the Baptist says, The real action is coming next. The star in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life, but his baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change your life from the inside out. This new thing, this baptism by the Holy Spirit, will forever change the relationship between us and God. And maybe that's why baptism is so complicated to explain. Maybe that's why this document is 15 pages long. is because we're not talking about a one-time event. We're talking about a covenant, a relationship. It's like trying to explain what marriage is or, or what it means to adopt a child. It's a life-altering event that starts a life-transforming journey. But the good news today is this. Through baptism, we are incorporated into the household of God, into a new family, the body of Christ. Like any big covenant, it takes a lot of words to try to define it, but something we try to do to make sense of it is use images and analogies. And you've probably done this before without even realizing it. If you go to a wedding and you're trying to give advice to the newlyweds, you don't hand them a document like this. You say, hey, marriage is a journey, or marriage is hard work. It's a partnership. It's a dance. Or they'll tell people having kids for the first time, get ready for a roller coaster. It's a marathon. <laughs> it's like herding cats. One that Caroline and I hear a lot as we're preparing for our second child is, get ready for man-to-man -man coverage. These are all analogies, images used to try to make sense of a complicated and life-changing covenant. And what's interesting is if you look through the Bible, we get all of these analogies about baptism, too. In the book of Romans, Paul compares it to dying, being buried, and being raised again in new life. That's what baptism is. And another analogy that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John, he says constantly, you need to be born again. You were born once into creation. You need to be born again into the new creation. But my favorite analogy for baptism, and the one that's going to be the focus for the rest of this sermon, is adoption. 
In Galatians 4, Paul describes our covenant through baptism this way, when the fulfillment of time came, God sent his son born through a woman and born under the law. This was so he could redeem those under the law so that we could be adopted. Because you were sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Hmm. I love this analogy. Baptism being like being adopted into God's family. It reminds us that adoption is more than just a one and done event. It's a lifelong and life-changing covenant. And it's a covenant that as the ones being adopted, we might not even fully understand until we get older. (laughs) Maybe not even then. And yes, there's an official day when we join that family, when our adoption is registered and made real, we are baptized, certified, and celebrated, and it is a joyful thing, and it's also a covenant that will go on to shape our lives forever. Caroline and I have this close friend of ours, David, who lives uh, in Atlanta, and he and his wife Kathleen, a few years ago, adopted a set of twin girls. And I don't know if you know anybody that's gone through the process of adoption, but it is a lot of work and preparation to make it happen. They had been praying for this moment. They had been asking for prayer. They anticipated it eagerly. They raised money. They went through several steps of verification and re-verification and met with families and got their hopes up and then hopes dashed and met with other families and were finally able to adopt. And the moment of that adoption required them to go to a courthouse with these two girls And under oath, they had to make vows. Do you know that by adopting, you will be the primary caretakers for these children? Do you make a covenant now to care for them always through the highs and lows of their life and yours? (laughs) And they said yes and celebrated with their family. And it was wonderful. They cried tears of joy. But I'll tell you something. I've spent time with them since then, and I can tell you that covenant isn't over, not by a long shot. Those little girls are in preschool now, and they're tearing things up, running around, fighting, laughing, learning, and they need constant attention and love. And it's funny, I don't think either of those daughters understand, really, what this adoption means for them, and they're going to understand more and more as they grow older. Their understanding of the covenant will grow and change. They will love, and they will rebel. They will do wonderful things, and they will do terrible things. But the beautiful thing is this. Regardless of how they act, this covenant will not be broken. Even if they were to grow older and leave home and make terrible choices that hurt their family and harm themselves, I know my friend David's heart, and these two will always be his daughters. I don't know if you know this, but that's why we baptize infants in the church. As a matter of fact, if you're here with us next Sunday, you'll be part of an infant baptism here at our church with the Merwitz family earlier They were up in the balcony when I said that, and Greg, the dad, raised his roof, raised the roof. Even with babies, we can promise to raise these children in the household of God, and they can later choose for themselves whether they affirm that end of the covenant, whether they choose to acknowledge God as the head of their life and the church as their family, that's up to them, but either way, God's grace is given to them, and they are adopted into God's household, his family. They can choose to go away, but they can never be too far gone to return home. It's a love that is unconditional. I've got one last story to end with, and then we'll prepare to receive communion here at the table. 
But many of you know Michael and Elizabeth Terrell at our church. Well, Michael's father passed away suddenly, and we just had his service uh, at Oak Hill Cemetery this past Wednesday. And it was a beautiful service celebrating the life of a good man, Ronald Terrell. But the most powerful part of this service was when one of Ronald's grandchildren spoke. And this grandson shared that he had made a lot of mistakes in his life, made some bad choices that took him to harmful places. He struggled with addiction, with substance abuse, turning away from those who loved him. Well, all along the way, Ronald had been there loving him unconditionally, but the grandson often ignored him and wandered away for years. When the grandson eventually hit rock bottom, he started to take stock of his life and realize he needed to change. He went to a recovery program and started to turn his life around, but then he reached a step in this recovery program where he had to list all the ways he had wronged people in his life, and then he had to take that list and go and name those offenses and make amends. For this grandson, the first person that he thought of was his grandfather, Ronald. So he went and had a really hard conversation. He went to Ronald and listed off the times that he had wronged him. With tears in his eyes, he named the times that he had ignored his grandfather's phone calls or his advice. He had not responded to him when he reached out, the times when he had chosen his own personal gain at the expense of his own family. And at the end of it all, he was racked with guilt and shame. This grandson asked Ronald if he could ever find it in his heart to forgive him. And he said, Ronald just smiled and said to him, why are you even asking? It's already forgiven. And embraced him. Even when his grandson had strayed, Ronald's end of the covenant was never broken. And that's the good news for us. That's the kind of love that God has for us through baptism. That is this covenant that we have entered into. And we remember that covenant love today. We rejoice in having been adopted into the family of God. Well, today, after receiving communion, as you return to your seats, you will be invited to touch the water in the baptismal font. And I invite you to either just touch the water and remember your baptism, or you can touch it and make the shape of the cross on your forehead as you return to your seat. But whatever you do, remember the good news of this covenant. God's love is never broken, and you are never too far gone to return home. Let us pray. God, as we remember our baptisms today, we just give you thanks that you are a God of abundant grace and mercy. We remember all the times that we have turned away from you, and sometimes I can't believe that you just welcome us back with an embrace, but you do. We give you thanks for that covenant love that is beyond our understanding and comprehension, Lord. And as we grow in our faith and grow in our understanding of what that means for us, we ask that you continue to shape our hearts to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, friends, as we prepare come to the table. I invite you to open your hymnals to page 12 or follow along with us in your bulletin.
Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory, Glory to, to God. God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died. Christ, Christ is risen. risen. Christ, Christ will come again. again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 